We are continuing our series entitled Reality Check, and we're having a conversation through the book of James. Last week, we gave a little bit of a, a backstory, talking about who James was. He was the half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mother, they had different fathers, and we saw how James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. We have quite a bit of information. We saw that at one time they actually went to try and take charge of Jesus, it said. And they thought he had lost his mind. They were trying to persuade him how to basically live. And he said, my time isn't come. Your time is any time. But they didn't understand his family, who he was, until after the resurrection. We saw that after the resurrection, Jesus actually made an appearance to James. It says, and then he appeared to James. And we spent a little just time thinking about the emotion of what that would be like to recognize that this, your brother who you've been with, is actually the son of God and has conquered death. And from that point on, we see a transformation. We see James in the upper room at Pentecost. We, we see that James became the pastor in Jerusalem and now was responsible for some major decisions that were made for the church. And James stayed there in Jerusalem. He was martyred for his faith at about 63 AD. But he remained in Jerusalem, even though that became a place of considerable just struggle and martyrdom. A lot of persecution that took place, but he remained there. And as he writes this book, he is writing to those who are of the Jewish descent, those who have grown up in this heritage but now who believe in Christ. And so he is very much ingrained in the Jewish tradition and challenging them from where they were not to stay in a place of tradition, but to move to a place of action. And throughout this book, there is going to be this challenge, this confrontation with us, as it was with the Jews who were scattered abroad, as he said. And the challenge is to live out this belief. To let this have feet so that people will see your faith, not just by the things that you say, but actually because of how you live. And so join me in James chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 19 and read through the end of the chapter. My dear brothers and sisters, oh, if you need a, a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand, and Alex will get you one while we're reading. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humble, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. As James starts to move forward, he's constantly going to be giving us contrasts. And sometimes our faith, our belief, our, if you would call it, a religion, can actually be less than what it was supposed to be. It can become, in a sense, a counterfeit. A counterfeit is a fraudulent imitation of something valuable, a forgery. You know, a while back there was that movie um, with Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. It was Catch Me If You Can. That's what I was thinking. What's the name of the movie? I'm citing it. I better know the name of it. And it was all about this man who basically forged checks. And for, I forget, since he was 16 to 20-something years old, he forged like $2 million and lived on the run, took some jobs, pretended to be people he wasn't, but it finally caught up to him. And finally, it came out, you aren't who you say you are. You don't have what you say you have. And then he had to go into custody, and he got a job with the FBI because he could spot fraud. (laughs) They rewarded him. Gave him a job. Anyway, so my analogy falls off right there. But It is possible to have a faith and a belief that is a forgery. It looks a lot like what it's supposed to be, but it's just an imitation, and it's worthless. It has no value. And as he starts in this portion that we're reading, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. And so we should take note of this. This should be something that would mark our attention. I'm telling you, if you just did this next verse, you would be doing really well. Especially if you are married, take note of this. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There you go. We're done. Okay, I don't need to say, if you would just put that into practice, oh my goodness, how your life would move forward. And as James talks later, he says, you would be blessed. You would have a a fulfillment. You would have this life of satisfaction if you would just do this. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. Usually, We are not like this. I'm I'm including you because I don't want to be out here all by myself. 
usually I'm quick to speak and slow to listen and sometimes quick to get angry. You know, every now and then something will happen. Maybe I I post something on Facebook and someone writes something that kind of gets me upset. And my immediate thought is, oh, I'm writing back. And so I'll start writing and and I'll write it out. And fortunately, because I've learned over the years about my tendency to be (laughs) quick to speak and quick to get angry, I'll bounce what I'm writing off of some people and I'll send it to a friend and say, hey, what do you think about this response? And they'll send back, don't do it. (laughs) I know what you're trying to say, but it it probably wouldn't be good. And then so I sleep on it and the next day I'm able to compose myself and then I can respond in a way that isn't anger. And it allows me actually to listen not only to what has been said or written, but to be able to listen to God and what he would want me to say in response. Because human anger, verse 20, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Your anger does not produce the righteousness, the the right living, the right standing that God desires desires. So if my anger doesn't produce this, I should probably not get angry or allow my anger to govern my actions, my words, my response. Now, James is writing this at a time of persecution He's writing this at a time where they are being challenged for their faith, and he says, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Don't get angry. Anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see, something happens when we get anger. You've heard the phrase, they're blinded with rage. They're blinded. They they saw red. What that means is they didn't see anything else. That's just their focus. And when we get angry or allow that anger to start consuming and dictating how we respond, we don't reason. We're not rational. We're not thinking with our full brain. We're just reacting. When I'm training dogs, if I'm dealing with a dog that has aggression issues, something happens with that dog before it goes to attack. You might see the dog and he's just sitting there being a dog, you know, just sitting there smelling things, which means he's kind of curious, tail wagging, and then all of a sudden he sees another dog or something he doesn't like, and all the activity stops, the dog freezes, the dog locks in and gets in this laser-guided mode, its mouth closes because it stops even breathing, it gets so focused and gets ready to strike. Everything else is gone. And if you say, hey, Fido, hey, stop it, stop it, he doesn't hear you. He is slow to listen. And his anger does not produce anything you desire. Because he is so focused on the rage, everything else gets shut out. Our brains do something similar. And so you're having a conversation with your husband, your wife, your children, your friends, your boss, 
your employees, your in-laws, anyone else I didn't cover. You're having this discussion and they say something to you that you don't like. They tell you, you know, I don't think you're raising the children right. You stop breathing. <laughs> you focus. And you want to respond. You want to launch out. You want to react in a way that's not going to produce the righteousness that God desires. Recognizing, let me be more thoughtful. Let my mind be receptive to the voice that God wants to give me in response. So I'm going to be quick to listen. Oh, I don't like that. I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm not going to say anything right now because we will never have dinner again, you know. I'm going to be slow to get angry. I'm going to allow self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, to now reign in my life and have a place. So now I'm not being controlled by my emotion. I'm actually controlling my emotion. And you see, what James is telling us to do is to be in control. That's what he told us when we read earlier. Count it joy when you fall into various trials. How can you do that? Because you know something. You know that God is working resilience in you. God is working perseverance in you. God is working something lasting so that you can be whole. You need to be able to think that, and then you need to be able to be in control of yourself. Because that's where he is pushing us to, is to a place of self-control. Therefore, verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save your soul. I know in the New International Version it just says you, but it's supposed to have the word soul in there. Every other translation does. I don't know why they don't, but it's supposed to. It, it, and the whole idea is if you will control the things that you do, it will bring, again, wholeness to your being. The idea of the soul is that which continues on, that which lives on, that's, that's greater than just your body. And, and it's not talking about just saving you from hell. It's talking about the person who you really are, developing that into a person of wholeness. This, this theology of salvation as we know it wasn't common at this time as James is writing. So when they would say something about saving, it's specifically about the topic that he's talking about. And so here he's talking about your actions being under control will now help you to be the person that God wants you to be. It'll bring wholeness to you and it'll bring character to your life. And so you need to put off all moral filth and those things that would so easily beset us and humbly accept the word planted in you. The word planted in you. And this is about what God has done and how he has given of himself to us, his spirit. The word planted in you is the message who Jesus is, what Jesus has done that has now been given to you. It is the fulfillment of the scripture now 
put in your heart. Remember that new covenant that Jeremiah talked about. That's no longer going to be written. It's on a stone. It's going to be written on your hearts. And so this has now been implanted in you, and it's kind of like a, a, a transplant. You know, when they do a transplant, what they'll do is, you know, if it's a, a kidney transplant, they'll take the kidney from this person and they'll put it into this person. And when they do that, they don't just stitch them up and say, okay, good to go, see you later. What they have to do is transplant them and wait. They have to wait and see, is the body going to take it? Or is the body going to reject it? Is the body starting to, is the blood flowing through this? Is this going to take? And is the body going to say, yeah, this is now, I'll take this. I can use a kidney. I'll keep it. Or is the body going to say, I don't know whose kidney this is, but it ain't my kidney. So I ain't going to take it. You see, if we allow the truth of God's word to take root and be transplanted, what will happen is our lives will begin to take it. And pretty soon we'll start functioning in it. And pretty soon we'll start living like it's really us. And pretty soon it becomes your kidney because it's in your body and your body says, yeah, me and the kidney are good. And this is what's going to produce what is necessary, is getting rid of the bad stuff, holding on to the things that are good, and allowing them now to shape our lives. And he's pushing us ever so slowly into this place of response to God, response in how we live, because it doesn't matter what you believe if it doesn't affect what you do. Beliefs are not going to change you. Your behavior will. If your beliefs shape your behavior, that's great. But just believing does nothing. You see, if you're struggling in your marriage and you believe the right things, believing them is not going to do anything to help your marriage until you put that belief into practice. I believe I'm supposed to love you. Are you? Well, no, I, I'm actually seeing someone else. <laughs> but I believe, you know, I'm supposed to love you. Or if I say, hey, I love you, but my actions show something else, my belief becomes meaningless. I love you, then why are you seeing someone else? Hey, don't you believe me? No. <laughs> why not? Because your belief means nothing if it doesn't result in something. And so we need to put off these things, we need to take on these things, and we need to hold on to the things that are true so that we can keep these things in our lives and allow them to take root and have an effect in us. They can be planted. And so if this is true, then this is going to shape how we live so that God can be a part of our lives. He goes on and he says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And we think, well, that's obvious. 
You would think that's obvious, but how many times are we guilty of knowing the right thing but doing what we want anyway? And he gives us a great illustration. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says. In other words, God has given you clarity on how you're to live through the scriptures, through the spirit. Anyone who hears the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's such a beautiful phrase, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so here's his illustration. There's a mirror. You look at the mirror, and you've got a big smudge of spaghetti sauce on your face. You go there and go, man, look at that spaghetti. You walk away. And you forget, oh, I had spaghetti on my face. You see, you look, but you forget who you were. There's a play on words there. Even when you look at the word, you look at this, but then as you leave, you forget what you look like. It means you forget who you are. So there you are with mess on your face. Look at that mess, and you walk away, and you forget that I'm messy. I've got spaghetti on my face. And then you go back and you say, oh yeah, there's that spaghetti on my face. There's that anger problem. There's that envy problem. There's that jealousy problem. There's that anger issue again. Yeah, and then you walk away. Who was that person over there? I don't know. Hey, look at that. There's that anger issue. Oh, there's that lust problem. Oh, there's that other issue there. Oh, okay. And you walk away. What did that person look like? I forget who he was. Oh, and you go back and you see you keep going back, but nothing's changing. You never get the wash rag and wash the spaghetti off your face. It's stuck there because you forgot to deal with it. And so he's saying when you go back and you see that, you have to deal with it. And that's what he says. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And again, here is James, a Jewish follower of Christ or a Christian who is Jewish. And he goes back, you look intently into the law that gives this freedom. The scriptures that God has given to us as his people. And, and when you look at these intently, and the idea of looking intently is to stoop down. It's to be focused. When my kids were young, it gave me an excuse to play with toys. And they would get Legos for Christmas. And they'd get all kinds of Legos. They'd get the pirate ships, and they'd get the Star Wars X-Fighters, and all these cool things that I love to help them play with. But you know, if you got this box and, and say, here's the, the pirate ship, and you get the box, if you just open up that package, there is no way on God's green earth that you're gonna make a pirate ship out of all these pieces. It's just not going to happen. You're gonna open it up and you're gonna say, okay, I know the brown ones are the ship, but they all are kind of the same. You see, what I would do is I would sit there and I would look at the instructions. And I'd say, okay, I need a four. 
four and it's brown. Okay, here's a four. I need a three and it's brown. Okay, here's a three. And okay, here, put these two together and give them to my kid. Give it to me. You're going too slow. Okay. <laughs> and then I would have to look at the instructions, look at the pieces, put it together. Look at the next instructions, look at the next pieces, put it together. I have to stoop down because I'm on the floor with the Legos and I'm having to look close because my eyes are going bad and I'm having to focus on all these things until finally it starts to resemble a pirate ship. I'm looking intently. I'm focusing. I'm giving my attention to these things. God has given us an understanding of how we are to live. And what he's asking us to do is to consider it intently, to be focused on those things, to not just know, oh, yeah, I, I know I shouldn't do that. Okay, and then I walk away and I still continue to do it. He's saying, oh, look it. Look at that spaghetti sauce. I need to deal with that. Okay, give me a rag. Okay, I'm going to get it off my face. It's been crusted on there a while. I need to really wash it with one of those washcloths. <laughs> See, I do use washcloths. If we would do that, and then continue to do that. He says that we're going to live in freedom and in blessing. I don't think anyone here doesn't want to be blessed. And if I were to say, do you want to know how to have a blessed life? We're all for it. Yes, tell me how to live a blessed life. And then we take you to the mirror. And we say, get rid of this. You say, oh, no, 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 I like that. What else you got for me? I forgot who that guy looked like. No, I, I got to take you back to the mirror. See this? You got to get rid of this. If you want a blessed life, you got to do something about this. And for some reason, we think that we can ignore the things that God has illuminated for us to understand and how we are to live. We can bypass those things that, you know, I just like to do that, so I'm going to hold on to that. I like this anger, or I like this lust, or I want to still sleep with my girlfriend, or I want to you know, embezzle this money because I like the money, so I'm going to lie about these. I want to do these things, so I don't want to give them up. Show me something else. And then we want to live a blessed life, and we're wondering, why am I not living a blessed life? You, you can't separate yourself from the truth of what life is and expect to enjoy what life is about. You can't separate yourself from what God has orchestrated and still enjoy the blessings of God. You're going to find yourself in conflict. And we have this tendency to dissect ourselves and say, well, I'm going to have my church life. There, I went to church. We're good, right, God? And then we go out and we live like we want to live without the knowledge of God later. And we can't do that and expect to have blessing. You can't separate yourself from God and not have the consequences of losing the life that he gives. 
And pretty soon it's like, why are things happening? Why am I not blessed? Why is this just cloud over my head, this burden? Well, you've separated yourself from the blessing. Go back to the mirror. Look. And don't forget what's there. And deal with what's there. Look intently. Take some time. Pay attention and get rid of the things that need to be dealt with and bring in the things that you need to bring in so that you can have a life that is blessed. Verse 26, he says, Those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. This is twice he uses this word, deceives themselves. They deceive themselves. And it's really a mathematical term. It means you're reckoning wrong. It means your numbers aren't adding up. You see, if you're going to consider yourself religious, but you're not going to do the things to rein in your life, then you're not adding up the number's right. You're reckoning wrong. And once again, he comes down to this tongue. If you are religious, but you don't keep a tight rein on the things that you say, say, you deceive yourself and your religion's worthless. I think it's so interesting that he starts with what we say, because that's where he started. Remember, you've got to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. And now he's telling you, you got to control your tongue. He's going to talk a lot more about what we say because what we say is connected to not only who we are, but what will happen. It will shape your world. It will shape your future. It'll shape your relationships, what you say. And if you say you are connected to God, but your words are out of control, You're bitter, you're rude, you're angry, you're hostile. Your religion doesn't mean a thing. And and we've seen this happen. I mean, this is hypocrisy. You, You go to a restaurant. I know a lot of waitresses after church, it's like, oh no, here they come. Here come the Christians. And they're demanding and they're rude, and they're expecting. And all of a sudden, it's like your words, hey, um, excuse me, this isn't what I ordered. No, ma'am, I think it is. No, it's not. I'm sorry. Can I see a manager? And you get all hostile. It's like, oh my gosh, where's your belief now? What's going on? If you don't control that, then your religion, it's worthless. Powerful words. If you can't control what you say, your religion is worthless. That's one of the hard things to do. Gossip. Talk bad about people. Oh, we do it in the right motives. Oh, I don't like I don't like them. Yeah, I, I don't either. I think they're very yeah, I think they're very legalistic. I do too. You know what they did? No what? Well, they did this. <gasps> You're kidding me. Yeah, we should pray for them. Yeah, we will. What else do they do? 
and I, I'm being facetious and kind of making fun of it, but I do that. I have to catch myself and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to stop this conversation. I need to stop this manner of talk. I need to change course. I need to go back and see that mirror. Say, no, this isn't right. I need to get rid of this. Take charge of how you speak. Otherwise, don't tell me what you believe. If you can't control how you speak, I don't care what you believe. Your religion is worthless. He doesn't pull punches. Have you noticed this? Just warning you, the next seven weeks or so, you're in for a beating every week, okay? James is just going to come and let us have it. That's how it is. But you know what? I need it. We need it. Every now and then, we just need to, this is how it is. If you can't control your tongue, what you believe is worthless. Is there any in between? Nope, that's it. Shoot, okay. I guess I got to control what I say. Yeah, that's the whole purpose. He's pushing us, and he's pushing us somewhere. Your reckoning is wrong. You're deceiving yourself. Your life isn't adding up. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, as he's bringing this portion to a conclusion, what he's saying is, Here he is in Jerusalem that is being persecuted. There are a lot of impoverished believers. Just earlier in the chapter, he talked about the the poor need to exalt themselves in their freedom, and those who are rich need to humble themselves and not trust in their riches, basically. And then he's coming back to the place and saying, okay, if you're really religious, then you need to do something about the people around you. You need to help those who are in our midst who need the help. The orphans, those who do not have fathers, the widows in distress. And again, at this time, we're not talking about just, well, you know, I don't have enough money for a cell phone. Okay, we're talking about I don't have enough money for food. I don't have a father or a home. And James is saying, you want to be connected to God, you want to be, quote, religious, then do something in the world around you. Don't just talk about what you believe. So many times we we think that religion is about what we know. And, And it's great learning, and it's great to have, you know, commentaries and word studies and seminaries and these places where you can go and get information, but it is not about information. Information is not the destination. It's not about how much you know. It's about the things you know doing something in your life. It's about producing something because your faith means nothing if it's not connected to something that you do. And so we need to get out of a mentality of, I'm a Christian. Why? Because I go to church. I'm right with God. Why? Because I know the Bible. I know all about the 
eschatology, you know, the last days. I've been studying, you know, about all these different doctrines, and so I'm pretty well-versed, and I can spout these things off. I really don't care. That's what James is saying. I'm just echoing it in my own words. I really don't care. I don't want to see your mental gymnastics. I I don't want to hear your Bible knowledge. I want to see Jesus in your life. I want to see you look intently in the mirror and see the things that need to be dealt with. Put away the things that have to be dealt with. Be honest. Have control over how you speak and what you speak about and who you talk about. Because if you say you love God, well, we'll get into that, but you don't love those around you, if you slander those around you, your belief, it's worthless. Now, I I hope that sobers you up the way it does me. I know I should smile when I say this, so then you think, your religion's worthless. Because it's not meant to condemn us, it's meant to enlighten us. It's meant to open our eyes because, you see, James is writing this because the people were experiencing this at his time. We're reading this because we're experiencing it at our time. It's here for us. And thank God it's here. Thanks God that he once again tells us, you need to move from here to here. You need to stop doing this if you tell me you're this. You need to be whole. And so he's going to be pushing us and pushing us, and a lot of it's going to have to do with what we talk about. And so for this week, your homework, I want to challenge you to be aware of every time you talk about somebody. Be aware of it. Go to the mirror and look. When you say, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Go to the mirror and say, oh, I'm talking about someone. I need to be careful how I talk about this person. Am I going to say things that are going to build up or am I going to gossip or am I going to put them down? When you're talking to your children, to your husband, wife, think about how you're talking to them. Are you talking in anger? Are you belittling them? Are you thinking yourself here and them there? Are you quick to speak, slow to listen? Are you the one who gets to have the last word? Are you the one who gets the only word? Go to the mirror and say, What am I doing with my words? What am I doing with my words? And see if this week we can challenge ourselves to take control of how we speak and allow our words to move us into a place of wholeness and of blessing and see what a difference it makes in the relationships that you're involved in. See what difference it makes in your own soul and how it begins to change you. What will probably happen is you will be more aware of how you talk than you used to be. Oh my gosh, I never knew I gossiped so much until I went back to the mirror and looked intently. Oh my gosh, I never knew how angry my words were until I went back to the mirror and looked intently. I never knew how critical and criticizing I was until I looked intently. And now I see it, and so now I'm going to put that aside. 
And let's challenge ourselves this week to be the people that represent God clearly and effectively. Let's pray. Lord, I am challenged. I am convicted. I am aware. And Lord, this awareness is not here to condemn me. It's not a guilt to shame me. It's an awareness to enlighten us, to help us see clearly. Lord, help us to reckon rightly, to not deceive ourselves, to to put things in the right perspective and to be aware of what is truly happening within us. Lord, because if we will put these things into practice, if we will accept what you say and allow it to take root within us, it'll save our souls. It'll bring healing. It'll bring wholeness. It'll bring blessing. And not only will it bring blessing to us, it'll bring blessing to the people who are around us because true religion is this, to care more about others than we do ourselves. And so, Lord, may we be aware of the words we speak. May we be aware of of how we interact with other people. May we recognize if we are quick to listen. May we recognize if we are slow to speak. Help us to be aware so that we can be slow of anger. And Lord, this is something you have given for us to do. So I'm not praying, Lord, make me slow of anger. Lord, I'm asking you to do what you have done through your words. Enlighten me to know what I am supposed to do. And I have to take charge from here. I've seen the mirror. I'm not going to walk away. I'm going to look intently and put off those things. Lord, that is my responsibility to what you've made known to me. Our lives will only change if we take charge of what we do. So we take charge this morning. And we thank you for illuminating these things to us. In Jesus' name, amen.